Great to see you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 16. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Genesis, and we're going, of course, verse by verse, passage by passage, and our focus in this section is on the life of Abraham. We call him, it's called Abram in this passage. We're seeing some powerful truths from his life. This is the man that God made a, probably the most important covenant in the Scripture, in the Word of God. God told Abraham that he would do something. He would make a covenant with him. He would give him... Three things. He promised him a land, a seed, and blessing. This is all what we call the Abrahamic covenant. The whole rest of the, the whole rest of the Bible fits off of the Abrahamic covenant. He promised him a land, which ultimately is the land, what we call land of Israel. It's actually bigger than that. It stretches from the Ridge River Nile in Egypt all the way to the Tigris Euphrates River, River. But this is the idea is the land of Israel. He promised him a seed, which is an offspring, which is a nation and a people group. And yet coming through that nation and offspring would be the Messiah and the Savior. And then he promised him a blessing. And the blessing is to all the nations of the world be blessed, and that's through the Savior. The Savior would come and provide salvation for anyone who would believe. And we're seeing in this section that God keeps His Word. It's powerful truth for us that whatever God promises, He always does. And we can rest in the security of knowing that our God is faithful to do what He says. Sometimes we fail. In fact, not sometimes we fail. Oftentimes we fail, but God always does exactly what He says. This evening, we need to be reminded, uh, or we need to see how He reminds Abraham of His promises. There's two key things uh, that we'll look at tonight. One is we're going to see how God deals with Hagar, and then we're going to see God deals with Abraham. He's called Abram, but He's going to change His name. So there's a lot there tonight. Let's begin with a prayer, and then we'll go right through the study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for each one that has come. Thank you for a great time to study. We thank you, Lord, for the Bible, especially even the Old Testament, when we look at people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all the things in the book of Genesis and the truths that are there and the promises and how that you are a God who keeps your word, and we just thank you for that. Lord, we know that whatever you say uh, comes to pass, and we thank you for the promises you've given for us. Lord, we just ask you now that you teach us as we study, as we go through this. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you change your name if you could? I mean, I changed mine, basically, because my name is James. It's James Harold. Uh, but, and and, and um, I never did like the name James that much. I don't know why. I mean, it's okay. But when I was in high school, my coach began to call me J.B. for James Bond, J.B. And it just stuck. And even when I went off to college, for some reason, everybody started calling me J.B. even then. And I've gone with J.B. all this time. So technically, I've changed my name. And there are people who will look and they'll see my name as J.B. They'll go to the phone book and they'll see James H. Bond. They'll say it can't be him. They don't know my number. But my middle name is not B. It's H. But it's J.B. Now, I had a, enough of that. Enough of that. Anyway, my sister had a friend who liked the name Beverly. So she called herself Beverly. Her name was Dorothy, but she called herself Beverly. And she liked the name. And about age 12, she said, you know, I like the name Beverly better than Dorothy. So she started calling herself Beverly. When she went to get her driver's license, the people looked at it and said, well, your name's really Dorothy, but you're going by Beverly. She said, yeah, I, I just like it better. And so that's what she did. Do, do you know what your name means? Does do your name, you know, in our culture, names don't necessarily have the same special meaning as they do in the Bible. Think about the Bible. The name, Abra, uh, name Abram means what? What does it mean? High father, big daddy. Abraham means father of many nations. Sarai means nagger. We think that's what best it means. Sarah means princess. How about Jacob? Anybody know what that means? That means deceiver or tricker. That's what it means. And then his name is changed to Israel. It means the prince. Uh, Isaac means laughter because they, they all laughed when they thought, you know, somebody this old is going to have a child. But they did. The name Paul means little and the name Saul means ask. So that's it. Daniel means God is judge, and Joshua 
means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. It's the same name as Jesus, really. Joshua and Jesus, same name. Think about God. He's got different names. The Hebrew and the Hebrew name El is, is singular for God, and then Elohim is plural for God, and then Adonai means master, and Yahweh is the personal name of God. Sometimes people, it's YHWH. Sometimes people want to say Jehovah, but there's really no name as Jehovah. In fact, be careful when people start saying Jehovah God, Jehovah's the name of God. There is no name Jehovah. It's actually they've taken the, the, what we call the constants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai and put it together to form a word Jehovah. So the word Jehovah is not even in the scripture. It's YHWH is the personal name of God. They're combinations of God's name. El Shaddai. We'll see that tonight. It's the God who provides. El Elon means the God most high. Yahweh Yara means the God who provides. There's some great things there. This evening, we're going to see that God deals with Abram, and he changes his name. And we'll see how that fits together. Uh, first, God calls himself the El Shaddai, and then he changes Abram's name to Abraham. And then later, in the same section, we'll see it next week, uh, he changes Sarah's name from Sarah to Sarah. All this is to help them remember God's promises and his covenant. The last time, Abram failed. We saw it. We've seen him fail a number of times. We think about these people in the Bible, we say Abram, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, David. We just start naming all these names. We say, oh, they're the greatest. They're the greatest. Paul, Peter, James, John. And yet they're just like us. Just like us. They, they failed. They failed sometimes. Abram was supposed to have a child with Sarai, which was going to be the offspring, which was going to be the one in which the whole nation would come. But you remember what happened last time? I mean, they're getting on up in years. About 85 years old, he's about 85, and Sarah's about 75. And Sarah says, I don't think I'm going to have a baby, so why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, which was her maid, her her, her servant, and, and, and go into her, let her be your wife, have sexual relations with her. What child is born there, it'll count as my child, and that's the way we'll do this thing. That fit the culture. We talked about it last week. That In the culture, sometimes they did that sort of thing. That didn't mean it was right. That was the culture. Well... It was a violation of God's word in a number of ways, and it's going to cause the, the offspring of this is going to cause a lot of problems and goes up even to today. Well, time is going to pass, and God's going to remind Abram of the promises. Let me break down the passage for you. We're going to start back. We'll, we'll really get a running start, but 11 through 14 is the promise to Hagar, and then verses, uh, chapter 16, verses 15 through 17 is the birth of Ishmael. That's the son. Then we're going to go ahead and just look at chapter 17, 1 through 5, and see the, the reminder of the covenant and the changing of Abram's name. And this is powerful, because the covenant, the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, is the most powerful covenant in the Bible. Everything else fits off that. The Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. We're under the, I mean, we get the blessings of the new covenant because that's Jesus Christ dying on the cross, shedding the blood of the new covenant. All that ties together to this. Well, let's begin because we saw the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Abram and Sarai disobeyed God. They didn't wait. They didn't wait on God's plan. The seed would come through Abram and Sarai, but they decided because of this delay that Abram would take Hagar and have relations. And, of course, that as soon as Hagar is pregnant, she begins to look down on Sarai. And, boy, there's conflict right there. Sarai goes to Abram and says, this is all your fault. Abram goes, you're the one who said, I mean... Thank you. I mean, you would think, you know, what's, what are we supposed to do about this? Well, he says, you do whatever you want to with her. Well, she mistreated her, and uh, she ran off. And uh, God comes to Hagar. She's out, and she's all upset. 
And God comes to her, and we're going to see that God knows what's going on. And notice the question. It says, verse 7, we, we kind of, this is where we started reading. Now the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, because she ran away, by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. She's going back down to Egypt. That's where she's going. She's going back to where she came from. She's a handmaid from Egypt. Most likely they picked the slave up when they were down there that other time, which they weren't supposed to go down there. So we got problems because of things. Sometimes when we do things wrong, the consequences last. Well, the angel of the Lord. Now we talked about it last week. When you see the term angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, it's almost always referring to God. It's almost always referring to some pre-incarnate uh, picture of Christ or some way. We know in this passage this is God because even though he's calling himself the angel of the Lord, he does the, he says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, so he's God. And she talks about him being the, the God. And so it, it's, he, said, he said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? That's verse 8. This is the problem. What's, what's going on? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Well, what does he do? He does two things here. He's going to give some instructions and a promise. Well, let's start with the instructions. Here's his instructions. He says, submit to the authority. Notice, he said to her, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. The instructions are to go back. This is the key in all our relationships because not only our relationship with God, because we come under the authority of our great God and Savior, but we come under the, the God-ordained authorities in our life. And we've talked about it. God is over all. All creation and everything submits to God. Christ is over the church, so all believers submit to Jesus Christ. The husband has authority over the wife. The, uh, the husband is the head. The wife submits to him. The parents have authority over the children. The children submit to their parents. The employer has authority over the employee. The employee submits to the employer. In a local body, the elders have, have authority, and so the believers in the body submit to those in the leadership. In our government, the government has authority of the people. We submit to the laws of our government. That's just the way it is, God has ordained these areas of authority, headship and submission. It's all the way through the Scripture. Here's what God says to Hagar. He says, you go back to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Come under that authority. So that's the instructions. Now, she's going to do it. One thing about her, when she's out there and God says, what's going on? She, never, she doesn't lie. She says, I'm running away. She doesn't lie at all. And so he says, you go back and submit yourself to her authority. Then he gives the promise. And the promise is many offspring from this child. Notice what he says in verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they, that they will be too many to count. You're going to have so many kids you can't even count. You're going to have so many people coming from you, Hagar, that you can't even count them. Now, we know that this people group is coming from her. They're going to be ultimately what we think of as the, the Arab people. And this child is Ishmael. That we'll see it in just a minute. And we're going to see how that ties together. What does God tell her to do? The angel of the Lord said, further, here's, what you're going to have, here's what's going to happen. You are going to be with child, and you're going to have a son. And you're going to call his name Ishmael. Now, the name Ishmael means God hears. That's what it means, Ishmael. Because anytime you see a name with E-L on the end of it, like Daniel, Daniel means God is judge. It usually has some aspect of God's name in it. So Ishmael is God. God is the one who hears. God hears. And so you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed. He has listened to your affliction. He's listened to your problems. And so he tells her, he says, guess what? You're going to have a child. You're going to bear a son. His name is God Hears. That's his name because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
and you think, okay, that's that's great. I'm going to have a great son, and 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 obviously he's going to have a lot of kids because he just told me I'm going to have so many descendants that you can't even count them all. But then he goes on and he gives a little bit more information about this son. Notice what he says in verse 12. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and every one's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Now, what he's saying is he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. He's going to be a man that's independent. He's going to be a man that's in conflict, uh, that his descendants, he'll be against people. People will be against him. He's going to be the kind of person that doesn't get along with other people. And that's exactly what we see as, as we go through, and we'll see Ishmael, and what, how he lives and what he does. First of all, he, he doesn't get along when Isaac is born. The Bible says that Ishmael made fun of Isaac. He fuzzed, they, they didn't, they never got along. In fact, Sarah at that time says, I am not having this boy mess with my son. He, he, he was a wild donkey of a person. He always was getting into trouble. He was always at odds. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him. The conflicts are there. And what we really see, and if you think about it, the offspring of Ishmael became what we'll call, most people call the, the Arab people, the offspring of Isaac became Jewish people. Now some people get confused and they say, who are the Jewish people? I want you to understand, Jewish people are the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Through Isaac and Jacob. It's important to remember that because Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. The descendants of Ishmael are not Jewish people. The descendants from Abraham to Isaac, and then you get Isaac... Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The descendants of Esau are not Jewish people. The descendants of Jacob Jacob are. And so, bottom line, it's from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob are the Jewish people. That's the descendants of those that make up the Jewish people. The descendants of Ishmael, the descendants of Esau, who are going to be later, as you look in that part of the world, became what we would call the Arab-type people. And so, as you notice, there's been conflict since... You know, there was never supposed to be, I don't mean this bad, there never was supposed to be an Ishmael. It wasn't supposed to be that. And that the conflict that started right then has carried on throughout history. And it goes on today. And all you have to do is go to Israel and see Gaza Strip and the West Bank and the Arab nations and the, 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 that there are some Arabs that their, their goal in life is a complete destruction of the nation of Israel. And so there's a conflict going on, and it's been going on since the very beginning. And I'll bet you that if Ishmael could have killed Isaac, he would have. If he could have. Couldn't. But that's what we're seeing. And so his hand will be against everyone. His hand will be and everyone's hand will be against him. He'll live to the east of his brothers. This is the source of conflict that goes on even today. Look at her response. Look what she says. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Now, I want you to understand that the passage calls it the, the angel of the Lord. But she recognized exactly who he is. He's God. And here's what she says. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. What she's saying is, God, you, 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 you see. And you hear because the name of the child is what? Ishmael, what does it mean? God hears. She's knowing that God is a God who hears and God is a God who sees. Now, it's true for us. As we go through life, God is a God who hears and sees. He knows everything that goes on in our lives. He knows what's happening. He knows our ups and downs. He knows our fears. He knows our insecurities. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we're thinking about right now. He knows every aspect of our lives. 
And he loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry because God knows everything. There's some people that say, well, I don't think I should pray about everything because not everything's not important. God already knows everything anyway. And let me ask you this. Is there anything, you know, somebody said, this is not very important to God. Or Listen, not, God's above everything. Do you think God's going to go, ooh, this is, this is so important. I don't know if I can deal with it. Everything's not important to God in the sense of his power and majesty. He can do anything. So you can bring anything to God. And he can say, thank you, I'll deal with that. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You're a God who sees. God, you see everything. God, you know everything. Now, what's powerful is she says, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? You know what she's saying? I'm still alive and I've seen the presence of God. I've been in the presence of the living God and I'm still alive. The manifestation of the living God is so Powerful. Now, I want you to think about this. What would happen if an angel appeared right here? Could, now, could an angel appear right here? I mean, could, couldn't, couldn't an angel appear right here? I mean, we act like we don't think they really exist, but this room is full of them right now. There's a spiritual aspect going on we have even no clue of. We wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And So there's, there's a demonic and an angelic force that's going on all around us that we don't ever even see. Could an angel appear right here? What would happen to us if an angel appeared right here right now? What would we do? We'd probably fall on our faces because we'd be so scared because of the power of that being. Now, let me ask you something. Is an angel anywhere remotely powerful compared to God? What would happen to us if God appeared? There's no telling. What's going to happen when we see Jesus Christ? Every knee will what? Bow. We're all going to bow down. He's powerful. We can't even imagine the power. She is saying, I'm, I'm here with God. Somehow he's speaking to me, and I can't believe it, but I'm still alive. This is amazing. I'm still alive. I don't think we understand the majesty of God. I don't think we grasp it. I mean, I don't grasp it. I mean, what is, the, what is one of the main words that the Bible uses to describe God? Do you remember it? Awesome. But we say pie is awesome. Oh, that was an awesome TV show. That was an awesome movie. That was an awesome concert. That was an awesome this. Listen, I'm reserving the word awesome only for God. That's what I've chosen that I'm not going to say that that was an awesome piece of pie. It may be a great piece of pie, but the only thing that's awesome is my God. And the word awe, it means awe-inspiring, awesome. He is beyond it. We, we, we can't even imagine who he is and his power and his majesty. And every knee will bow. And she's saying, I can't believe it, but I'm still alive. And he's appeared to me. Or he's done something. Somehow he's talked to her. Because it doesn't really say that she saw him. But the angel of the Lord found her by the spring and talked to her. So we, it doesn't say what kind of manifestation there was. She said, you know, you're a God who hears, and you're a God who sees. And she said, you are a God who sees. I've even remained alive after seeing this. Therefore, the well was called Ber Laharoi, which means the well of the God who sees. And that's the idea, the well of the one who sees, the well of the God who sees. She named it that. This is called the well of the God who sees. Anybody that comes up here from now on, they're going to remember something big happened here. Something big happened here. You know, when you look at the Scripture, they're big about names, aren't they? 
Everything that happens, they name it so they won't forget it. Myra. They named the place Myra. You know what it means? Sorrow. They named another place where they griped at God. They fussed at Him. And, and they fussed and griped. So they was named griping and fussing. Ebenezer. Ever heard of Ebenezer Baptist Church or Ebenezer? I mean, you go out in the country and there's Ebenezer Baptist Church. You go, Ebenezer, what a stupid name. Yeah, it's a great name. It means the rock of help. God was the rock. They were in a battle. The Jewish people were in a battle and the enemy came and God gave them the victory and they call that place Ebenezer, the God who is the rock of help. So go through the Bible. There are all kind of names which, which deal with God. She says, let's call this well Ber Laha Roy, which is the well of the God who sees. God sees and knows our circumstances. He knows our situations. He hears everything. He knows everything. Now, it's too bad that Abram and Sarai had forgotten this. Because when they were 85 and 75, and Sarai said, Why don't you take Hagar, my handmaid, if they'd have just remembered that God is the God who hears and God is the God who sees, they really would have said, Whoa, 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 whoa. We just got to trust God because He knows everything. He knows where we are. He knows I'm 85. He knows you're 75. He made the promise to us 10 years ago that that we would have, I would have, we would have the children, the one that's going to be the, the seed and the blessing. And, and he told us that. In fact, he's already told me if I just went out and looked at all the stars, that's how many offspring I'm going to have. So he's the God who hears and he's the God who sees. So let's don't do it that way. Let's do it God's way. That's what we should remember. He knows everything. You don't have to trick people. You don't have to lie. Just be honest. Do what the Word says. Live righteously and godly. They would have realized that God is the God who hears and sees. He knows the situation. Hebrews 13 says He never leaves us or forsakes us. What would, she fear? what would we fear? This is part of God's plan for them to wait. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think He made them wait? I mean, 75 and 65, they're in the Ur of the Chaldees. God told them to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, go to a land that He would show them. Then He'd give them, He's going to give them all this offspring. So Abram is 75 when he leaves. She's 65 when they leave. Ten years have passed before they did this thing with Hagar. How old is Abram going to be when he actually has the son? 100 years old. Why do you think God made him wait 25 years? You've got to trust Him. Yeah, you got to trust me. You realize this event, from this event, after this baby is born, Abram is 86 years old, 13 years past before God ever shows back up again and talks to him. Now, if you're Abram, you're probably saying, well, I guess this is the boy. I guess this is the boy. I guess this is the way God's going to do it. He seems to be a pretty good boy. Except he can't get along with anybody. But other than that, he's a good boy. Right? That's what we think. So look what happens. So Hagar, verse 15, So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. What does it mean? God hears. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. He waited about 10 years before he blew it. Right? And he's 75 when he left, 85 when he took Hagar, because it said he'd been in the land about 10 years, and then about a year later, here's this baby born. He's 86 years old when the baby's born. 
Now, you know, in our lives, there all of us would have things that we'd like to take back. That we wish we'd say, I wish that had never happened. I wish I'd have never done that. I wish that had never happened. Give me, in this situation, I guarantee you, if you went to Abram and said, do you wish you'd have never done that? He said, I wish I'd have never done that. You think David would have said, I wish I'd have never walked out on that thing and looked down there and saw Bathsheba. Or at least I wish I hadn't followed up on what I was thinking. You think Peter would have wished, I wish I'd have never denied him that night. I mean, in our lives, there are sometimes we blow it. But what's so great about God is He never stops loving us. His love is unconditional. And He is going to work His plan. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. This is not the son. This is not the plan. This is not the promised one. God's word is true. He promised the offspring would come through Abram and Sarai. And yet this is not the right thing. Now let's see what happens. There is a gap of 13 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17. 13 years is a long time. Think back 13 years ago. Now, Freddie, I don't know if you can remember back 13 years ago, but think back 13 years ago. My Sarah was four years old. And Catherine was seven. And she's in college now. Think back 13 years ago. I had a little hair 13 years ago. No, I didn't. I didn't have any hair. Anyway, think back how long a time period that is. And you're sitting there, Abram, thinking, I think everything, everything's, I think it's going to turn out okay. I think it's okay. I mean, God hadn't really said anything. Why would God wait? Does he want Abram to realize what he's done? Does he want Abram and Sarai to get to the point that it would only be a miracle to produce this child? The book of Romans says that Abraham was as good as dead, talking about sexually. That's what it says in Romans. And that God did a miracle. I think God wanted them to realize that this son is a miracle child. That's why it's called laughter. It's not something Abraham could do, and it's not something that Sarah could do. It's only something God could do. So look at chapter 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 99 years old, 13 years have passed, Almost 25 years, almost not quite 25 years from the time God had given the original promise. And you could say, you think maybe he forgot? No, God never forgets. God's timing is always perfect. We may think God's forgotten us. We may think God's moving too slow. No. Look what he says. I am God Almighty. You know what that name is? It's El Shaddai. You remember the song? It's a famous song. If that song had been famous, we'd probably never know the name El Shaddai. Because we don't know. How many of you know El Elon? Right? Nobody goes around going, El Elon, El Elon. No, but nobody does that, right? El Shaddai is the God who provides. It's amazing because it comes from the name El, which is a name for God, and the name Shad, S-H-A-D. The Hebrew name Shad can mean two things. It can mean a mountain. 
It can mean a breast. The idea is this is where there is a provision. He's called the El Shaddai, the God who provides. He's able to provide power and protection. He's able to do anything that he says he's going to do. He's going to bring about the promise. It's never too late to have the child. No matter how old you are. doesn't matter. Look what God says to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Lord God, I'm God Almighty. I'm the El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Why would he tell him that? Has he been blameless? Not, not 13 years ago he wasn't blameless. The idea to walk before him is to live for me, to be blameless. That's purity. It's the idea of integrity, to obey the word. The bottom line he's saying, Abram, you got to live, you got to live different. The Philippians passage that we're going to see, do all things without grumbling and complaining that you may prove yourself to be innocent and blameless children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in this world. That's who we got to be. We got to be the lights in the world. He's saying, Abram, you got to live righteously. You got to walk before me. You got to be blameless. You got to live different than your culture. Because what did he do? He did what the culture did. That's what he did. You got to be different. This is not a condition for salvation. This is not a different uh, condition for the covenant. This is, if you're going to be under my covenant, this is how you live. Notice what he goes on to say. I'll establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Now, he's already told him that a bunch of times. Back in chapter 12, told him to leave, he's going to multiply. Chapter 15, he cut the covenant. It was an unconditional covenant. Told him he's going to multiply. Chapter 17, now we're going to see the same promise. It's between me and you. That's what he says. The covenant is with Abram. It's unconditional. God is the one who made it. We saw him when he cut the covenant last time. That he made Abram sit over there, put the animals down there, and God is the one who went between the animals. If you happen to miss that, that when they made a covenant in those days, they cut an animal apart and the people would grab arms and they'd walk in between this cut animal, signifying that these two guys would do whatever they promised to do. When God cut the covenant with Abram, he made Abram sit down and God is the only one that went in between the animals because God made an unconditional covenant with Abram. It's not based on Abram's faithfulness. It's not. He says, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Exceedingly. Remember, he's already told him you can have more descendants than you can count. The stars, the sand. He, he, he said, this is your land. This is the seed. This is the offspring. This is the blessing. All this is already promised to him. How does Abram respond? He hadn't heard from God, best we can tell, in how many years? Thirteen years. What does he do when God says, I am God Almighty. Be blameless. I will establish my covenant. I will multiply you. Abram fell on his face. That didn't mean he fainted. It meant, as an act of worship, he fell down before God. He worships God. In fact, one of the Greek words for prayer, prosukame, literally means to put your face down. God talked with him saying, watch what he says. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. You will be a father of many nations. You will have so many offspring. Now, he's already said that Ishmael is going to have a lot of offspring. He could be thinking, oh, um, are you talking about through Ishmael? Could be thinking that. No. God's got a special son he's going to bring. Now listen to this. He's going to do something so he will not forget. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to take for granted the promises. There are all these things God has promised to us, and sometimes we take them for granted. 
He's already said, I want you to leave the earth of the Chaldees. I'm going to get a land that I'll show you and a land that I'll give you. And I've cut the covenant with you now. Now, what's he going to do so that he won't forget this? Look what he does. He's going to change his name. No longer shall your name be called Abram, high father. Literally, Abe means father. It comes from Abba, Abba. And the last part, Ram, is exalt, exalted father, high father, big daddy. But your name shall be called Abraham, Ab, Aram. Aram is the mean multitudes. Your name will be the father of multitudes. For I will make I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. High father and father of many nations. That's who he is. It's future. I will make you the father. See, he's already a father, right? But this is future. This is not, I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. He's 99 years old. By the time all this comes back, he'll be 100 years old. How many children did Abram have? Well, he had one, but not any through, through Sarah. But God has changed his name, so he will not forget. What has God given to us so that we don't forget the things that he's done? Think about this. He's given us two things. He's given us, first of all, the Word of God that we can go to. We can, re- we can read anything going all the way back from the very beginning, all the way to the very end. We have God's Word so that we can continually do that. Because, see, we have a written revelation. It's better than, than some kind of experience because it's written. The second thing He's given us, He's given us the Lord's Supper. So we can remember the death and resurrection of Christ. You remember every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, He said, do this in what? Remembrance of me so we won't forget. May we not forget what God has done for us. Now, what we're going to do next time is we'll, and this will be at what time? I think 4, 4.30 next Sunday night. Don't miss it. You know, we're going to see at 4.30. We're going to go back and we're going to see Abram's name change. And we're going to see what happens. And we're going to see the sign of the covenant. Most of you already know what the sign of the covenant is. It's circumcision. And we're going to ask the question, why is it circumcision? Wouldn't it be an easier one, Right? But we're going to see why it's circumcision. What's it dealing with? And how does it fit together? How does all this? And then we're going to also just see that he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. We'll see how that fits together. What are we seeing? Takes Hagar and, and he, he takes her and there's the sin, the conflict, and she flees. But God tells her to return the promise of a son, many descendants. And then God reminds Abram of his promise and God changes his name. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Realize that God knows your situation and your problems. He does. He knows he's the God who sees and hears. He knows everything's going on. He knows everything about Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarah and Hagar. He knows everything about us. We can have confidence knowing that God is the one who is with us. He knows everything. He's a God who sees. He's a God who's near. He made us. He is in us. He is with us. He'll never leave us. Uh, so what do we do? What do we do? Number two, realize that God's... The, the, the first one is just realize what's happening. Second is rest in, in God. Trust His Word. Be patient. Trust the promises of God. Because they are there. There are a lot of them. B, a, a is... Uh, go ahead and put it up. Yeah, go ahead. Be patient. God will keep His word in His time. There are promises He's given to us. You know, there's a promise that Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds. Is that true? He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to take the church off the face of the earth. Is there also a promise He's going to come a second time to the earth and rule and reign in righteousness and justice? We that hasn't happened yet. Neither one of those have happened yet. Some people, as you see in, in one of the uh, letters that Peter wrote, he says, some people are actually making fun of and saying, where is the promise of His coming? It's been a long time. I don't think God's coming. God coming? 
Jesus coming in the clouds? No doubt about it. That's a promise. God will keep His Word. Know the Word. Dig the Word. Study the Word. Trust the Word. B. Trust Him in the circumstances of life. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. He's always there. He's never going to leave us. And there are going to be times that we are saying, what, am I, what, what, what do I do? What, do I, what am I supposed to do? And, and you go back to the truths of the Bible and trust in the living God. C is remember the covenant. See, God has made that, that covenant, even with Abraham, affects us. Because through this covenant, ultimately, is the Messiah and the Savior who died for us on the cross, paid for sin. He's the blessing and the result. And we can go back to that. And remember the truths that he's given us eternal life and a kingdom and he'll never leave us. He provides for us. He protects us. Uh, he gives us the power to live. All of that ties together. So don't, don't miss it. Remember everything that God has done for us. Third thing is remember, remember our name or remember your name. And I'm not talking about your personal name. I'm talking about the fact that when you believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you were dead and trespassed and sins. You're now alive. You've become a child of God. You're a saint. You're a holy one. We are a new creation in Christ. That's who we need to remember who we are. I talk about this sometimes in my 2-2 study because we'll talk about it and we'll say, aren't we just sinners saved by grace? Is that how we are? That's what we all think, isn't it? Yeah, we're just sinners saved by grace. No, we're not. We're new creations in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sin. That doesn't mean we don't have the natural bent to sin. But we don't need to look at our lives as just sinners. Say, by grace, that's me. I'm going to always do this because that's just the way I am. No, that's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a new person. That's why Paul talks about the new person. He says, I know in me, that is my old flesh, dwells no good thing. But in me, righteousness godliness remember who we are children of god may we rest in god trust his word trust that he'll do what he says in his own perfect time live by the word of god not by the world living out who we are in christ let's pray we'll open up for any questions heavenly father what a passage thank you for the life of abram and sarai and hagar and all of the things there and we see how you you really took care of hagar and and promised that you'd have a son and the descendants there and that's exactly what happened and, Lord, that she was right. You are a God who sees and a God who hears, and we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that sometimes uh, you, your timing is so perfect that we know that only you could do it. And that's what we see here. And, Lord, we thank you for Abram, uh, a man who loved you, and a man who you made the covenant with. And, Lord, we never want to forget that. We want to trust you. We want to live for you. We want to remember that we're new creations in Christ, that there's been a name change for us, that we were children of the devil, now we're children of God. We were dead in trend, now we're alive. Uh, well, it's just amazing, Lord, how you've changed us. May we trust you and rest in you in all of the events and circumstances of life. Thank you for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything? Yes. You mean why they've never totally possessed it? Best we can understand is even when they came to get the, I think you're, I think the answer is right. When they came back from Egypt 
and they get, went into what's called the promised land. They never really possessed that completely because they never drove out all the enemy because they didn't trust God to do that. They've never totally possessed the land as given to them in 13 and 15, of Genesis 13 and 15. They will when the Messiah comes. But it's, it's probably a combination of the fact that they never trusted God completely to deal with the enemy. And second, it's not time for them. Because if you gave it to them today, they, they can't control that part of the world. They've got to have the Messiah to do it. So that's a, I think it's the answer is a combination of that. Yeah. What else? Yes. Uh-huh. Right. So somehow God has just figured that out. And then you mentioned uh, David and Bathsheba. Well, without that relationship, we wouldn't have had Solomon. Right. So, and we know that there are no coincidences in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. It all kind of overwhelms us. It does. God takes every situation, even David and Bathsheba, and brings Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived, out of that. He takes Jacob who has two wives and two concubine wives that tie in, and they produce 12 children from those four women. And they're all the children of Israel. And they became the 12 tribes. And we go, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's the way it was. That's the way it came out. So God takes every event, even the bad and the good, and works them together for his plan. So even... even Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and and all of it. Just, it always we'll see it right toward the end of the book of Genesis when when Je, you know Joseph's brothers are all upset because uh, Jacob dies and they're all afraid that Joseph's going to come back and kill them all. Now they're all in Egypt, of course, and he's afraid they're afraid that he's going to kill them because what they did to him. And they come to him and said, "Oh, by the way, before Daddy died, he did want us to remind you that to forgive us for everything that we did." And Joseph says, "You don't have to worry about that." I love you. And what happened was God planned that. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So all events, no matter what they are, God's taken all the events and he works all things together for good. That it, it, Not all good, but he works it all for his plan. So even in all of this, you go, good gracious, how could all this be? I mean, if you're going to pick Jacob or Esau, which was the better guy, first of all, neither one of them were very good, to be honest. Both of them were pretty scoundrel guys. I mean, Esau, what, did he, what was his life about? Eating and hunting, right? I won't go eat and I'm going to hunt. He gave up his whole birthright for food. And what was Jacob like? A deceiver. And you say, boy, there's going to be some great things come out of those guys. And, and there was. There was. So you're exactly right. Good point. What else? What else? Anything else? Yeah. Now, I, I don't think it means anything other than that's the direction he was going to head, to the east. That's all. I, I mean, I don't think there's any spiritual or anything significant there. It's just saying he's, his group of people are going to settle that direction. Yes. Don't they all pray to the east? Well, as a whole, the, the well, he prayed toward the temple. And technically, that wouldn't have been east for him. That God had told Solomon when, when the Jewish people built the temple and Solomon stood on that platform and prayed for all the people and prayed to God, one of the things was this, that when we get into trouble, we will pray toward this temple 
you know, basically because that was supposed to be the manifestation of God, even though God is everywhere, and it doesn't mean that you can only pray to God in one place, but he just, they were to remember that this was his thing. And that's why Daniel, when he was in captivity, prayed that direction. There wasn't a temple. Wasn't even a temple to pray to. It's gone, been destroyed. But he prayed in that direction. Now, Jew, the Muslims pray to the east to Mecca. Right. Well, you could look toward the east and, and go around the world a little bit, and then you could get to it. It's on the other side. It's on the other side. I don't think you can get to it from here. You're going to have to probably go somewhere else and then go to it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, Freddie? He asked, do, when Hagar met God, do I think or do we think she became a believer? If I was betting, I would probably say yes, simply because she saw God or whatever and she believed him and she recognized who he was. And but that, that that doesn't mean that she became a believer, but it sure does look like it. And you know, within the Bible, we just assume that all these people who who maybe aren't that they, maybe they're not Christians. We we don't know. There are a lot of them. I mean, when I say Christians, believers in the Old Testament, huh? She did exactly what he told her to do. And let me tell you, it was not a very comfortable situation. What's going to happen later on? You may know. They're going to get run off again. They're going to leave again. They're going to leave again. When, when, uh, when Isaac, I mean, when Ishmael is about 13 or 14 years old, they got to leave again. And they don't come back the next time. I, I can't remember. I have to look it up. But you can read it a few chapters ahead if you want to. Okay. Anything else? Okay. I already prayed, didn't I? Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for this time. Thank you for our study. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.